Welcome into The Edge on this Wednesday morning. I am Aaron Karolnik, and no, this is no ordinary Wednesday. Of course, we are less than 24 hours away from the Masters, and yes, it seems like tournament just happened. It, just, it seemed like Dustin Johnson just slipped on that green jacket. Of course, it was in November. Now we're in April, and another Masters is upon us. The tradition, unlike any other, much like radio hosts, you know, talking with the Masters music underneath, so cliche, and just, just Chris, I, I, I can't believe you're making me follow suit with what we did on First Up and other radio shows. Call across the, all right, I'll do the voice, the Jim Nance voice. Welcome in to... Edge, Adam Scully from Golf Talk Canada, our first guest this morning, previewing the Masters, getting ready for our Masters pools, our Masters bets. Good morning, Adam. How are you, my friend? Welcome to a tradition unlike no other. It is the Masters. It really is. We're back. Tradition. Five months later. (laughs) It feels kind of strange that we just gave out a green jacket, but we're here. Magic. It is magic. It is magic indeed. All right, let's resume with normal voices, Chris. Let's kill the music. And Adam, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, so much to get to and so little time. I want to begin with the idea that this Masters in April will be a lot different than the Masters we saw in November. And I was just reading a quote from Matthew Fitzpatrick's caddy that said the golf course is playing crazy, crazy fast. I'm not, not talking about just the greens. I'm talking about the fairways. They are rolling. So you could see some prodigious drives from guys like Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, and Rory McIlroy. So when you hear the golf course is in such a different condition than it was in November, how does that, um, how does that make you change your evaluations on wagering on the tournament? Good question. I mean, going into the November Masters, the first timers, you know what, it, it, it was almost a different golf course. You know, guys like, you know, Abraham Answer, who played in his first Masters in November, he's essentially playing a new golf course now because, I mean, first of all, the greens are totally different. We saw back in November, guys were hitting, you know, for example, Cameron Smith hit a, hit a five iron into the 15th hole, or five wood, I should say, into the 15th hole, and it plugged in the green. Same thing happened with Phil Mickelson on the second hole as well, and we have never seen that before, and I hope we'll never see that again. Hopefully, you know, the course always stays, or the tournament always happens in April here going forward. Hopefully, there's no more COVID issues with that. Um, But, you know, I would say it's like a ball-striking paradise, essentially. You're going to have to need so many different shots, whether they're flighted iron shots off the tee or into par threes, or, you know, the quote-unquote Tiger Stinger, or the shot Justin Thomas hit a couple times at the Players' Championship, that swing sort of, you know, 15, 20-yard hook off the tee and let the ball run out. I'm really curious, Bryson DeChambeau, back in November, obviously he had a wild week putting on all the weight, uh, putting, up, putting on even more weight than he, when he won the U.S. Open, trying out a new driver, bailing on that driver the day before the tournament. Then he had a bunch of stomach issues. But one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen at Augusta happen in the November edition of the tournament was in the second round when he hit a tee shot on the third hole, which plays at around 350 yards, and it plugged, and he, they couldn't find the ball, so we had to go back. But because it's playing firmer and faster now, as Bryson said in his pre-tournament press conference yesterday, he believes he'll be able to run a shot onto that green. So I'm fascinated to see how different this actually does play when we were last here five uh, months ago. 
Adam Scully from Golf Talk Canada is our guest here on The Edge. Their Masters, pre their Masters preview show goes on TSN 4 and 5 today at 11 a.m. You can catch the replay on TSN 1 and 3 at 7 p.m. We can't get enough Scully, so it's a pleasure to have him as part of our show. Let's begin with Bryson DeChambeau and mm -hmm. all the hype going back to November about Bryson. All right, which... Which line is he going to take over these trees? These balls will be going uh, places we've never seen at Augusta National. And he was very underwhelming and, and did not at all live up to expectations. He still has never finished inside the top 20 at Augusta National. And his best finish came as an amateur in 2016. So what are you expecting from Bryson this time around in April, considering what we saw in November and considering what we've seen from him since? Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, first of all, seeing Bryson DeChambeau when he did win the low amateur back in 2016, looking at him then, looking at him now, it looks like we're seeing two different human beings, which is just funny enough, and Bryson's totally changed his body. But I'm expecting big things from Bryson DeChambeau this week. He's leading the PGA Tour in strokes gained off the, off the tee, tee to green, and strokes gained total. Three incredibly important stats. So off, you know, his long game has been remarkable. But his flat stick as well has just been great. You know, that's a huge reason he won the Arnold Palmer Invitational. He had an exceptional putting week at the Players' Championship as well of note. 21 putts in that third round. That is unheard of. Of course, it didn't go on to win that tournament. But I'm expecting big things out of Bryson DeChambeau. Yes, he's trying out some sort of new driver from his sponsor Cobra, but it's not his driver shaft isn't 48 inches long, so he's not going to change that too much. I'm expecting some big things out of Bryson DeChambeau and definitely his best Masters finish ever, and I expect him to be right in the mix come Sunday afternoon. What do you make of his inability, I guess he's not allowed, to have his greens book with him at Augusta? Like, what, what is the significance of that? Because you'd think a guy like Bryson, who's so analytical, so science-driven, would know these greens inside and out, every single undulation, and wouldn't need the greens book. Also, considering he's played here many, many times at this point, why is that a significant storyline when it comes to Bryson? Yeah, I mean, he relies on that so much, and, and that's why... Many people call him one of the most, I'll, I'll put this kindly, patient players on the PGA Tour. And he's, he's not the fastest guy uh, around the greens because he's looking at that, that yardage book, that greens book, to you know, find the percentage. And like, you'll hear him on the broadcast say, Tim, this caddy, you know, I, I think this is on a 3% slope, or this is on a 3% slope looking at his greens book. I, I think that this is a big thing. I, I would presume that of the times he's now played at Augusta National, so you know, 20 or 30 times you think at least that, he's probably made notes on every green to the best of his knowledge. I'm sure he doesn't have a compass out there or you know, any sort of uh, device, but in terms of writing out you know, what slope is here, where not to miss it, maybe this putt breaks a little more than you would think. But this is definitely a big story for Bryson this week because, you know, as we know at Augusta National, things are just done a little differently in many different parts, but especially around the greens. Adam, I know a man you're high on this week is a new father. Of course, I'm talking about John Rahm. He owns the best career scoring average in Masters history. He's one of only two players with top ten finishes in each of the last three Masters. So as far as uh, your power rankings, if you were to bet on one guy to win the Masters, we haven't even brought up the name Dustin Johnson, the defending champion. Where does John Rahm's name rank on your list? Okay, so he's definitely up there in terms of power rankings. The, the two guys I am very high on this week, uh, John Rahm, of course, as you mentioned, the stats, welcome a new baby boy into the world. 
earlier this week. Uh, I, I hopefully he's not too tired from that. As Rory McIlroy put in his press conference yesterday, he was asked because he's playing with Rom uh, during the first two days. Rory shot 64 in his first round uh, since becoming a father. So, you know, he's hoping to maybe to impart some of that wisdom on John Rom. So I really like John Rom. Another guy, Patrick Cantlay. And I'm not sure if under the radar is the right way to put it with him. Top 10 player in the world. He's won this year on the PGA Tour. He, ha- he had a lead for a very brief moment when Tiger won back in 2019. Had an unbelievable weekend. He's fourth in birdie average on the PGA Tour. So if if I were a betting man, I, you know what? I, I would advise people, or I did advise people, I should say, on the TSN Edge that Patrick Cantlay and John Rahm are my two favorites. You did mention Dustin Johnson. I'm really curious what we see out of Dustin Johnson this week. He's had sort of... I don't think a slump is the right word because he did win in Saudi Arabia earlier in 2020. He's played some, call it, indifferent golf this week. He's got a new driver in the bag. He's using for the second week the Sim 2 Max driver. He also used it at the WGC match play. He didn't make it out of the group stage in that. I'm curious what we see out of Dustin Johnson. He's played well here before. Obviously, it's a crazy week. He's never been through something like this with the Champions Dinner. What he served last night at the Champions Dinner. I know the overdrive guy has been very high on that but uh, i'm curious what we see out of dj this week do you like his chances i mean i think you have to like dustin johnson's chances any tournament he tees it up at especially considering the golf course i think today or starting tomorrow might suit him even more than it did in november because it's going to play very hard and very i guess maybe not really it'll play probably shorter because the ball will be running out we know dj is one of the best drivers of the ball on tour and if that sim 2 max i didn't know there was a sim 2 i guess i have the sim max so i guess that would make sense the new Mm. um the new one um would be the sim 2 max but yeah i think this could really favor dj and and i just feel that everyone's always sleeping on him there's not a lot of buzz around dj everyone's talking about a man jordan spieth who i'm sure will bring up bryson rom and jt but dj's almost flying under the radar and that could be a big mistake for prognosticators because never bet against dustin johnson the way he's been playing over the last calendar year we got to talk about speed because he was a 50 to 1 long shot to win the masters as early as early february and now eight weeks later you're talking about a guy who has the third shortest odds of any player coming off a win at the valero texas open I will say that I know people are, are pointing to that win as kind of a, a notch in his belt as far as a reason you might want to bet on him. But that field probably was the worst field of the season. Yeah, he won. It's great. But I don't really know how much I draw from that. I would draw more from the quality play that we saw from earlier in the year. Do you think that maybe, though, the hype has gone too far on Spieth? And, and I, I think he's going to make the cut. But I don't know if he's going to be contending necessarily when it comes Sunday afternoon. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm curious as well what we see from Jordan Spieth. And this goes, you know, last week and in this new comeback, we can call it, where he has played some great golf. He's really only relied on one shot, and that's sort of a squeeze cut, especially off the tee. And left to right, it's that sort of ball flight. But when he misses it, it'll go in, into the right rough, the right trees. And this is from driver all the way through the bag. Of course, we remember what happened back in 2016 when Jordan Spieth walked off the ninth green, his 63rd hole of the tournament, with a five-shot lead, then went bogey, bogey, quad. And Sounds like my scorecard. Made... <laughs> and when he made that quad on the 12th hole, 
that first tee shot, he mishit it. It was a bleeder right. He hit it you know, off the, the bank in front of the, the 12th green and back down uh, into the water there. So I'm curious how disciplined Jordan Spieth is, especially on the holes where you really need to swing a 15 to 20-yard hooker a draw, like 2, like 10, like 13. Or is he just going to rely on that squeeze cut off the tee. Yes, he does have a little more speed than he once did, you know, during this comeback. And you mentioned the course running firm and fast. So, you know, is he going to hit a three wood and just make sure it's in play and then rely on that iron and iron game? I mean, his short game is what it is, but his his driving stats and strokes gain approach to green stats aren't great. I mean, you, you can look at it in two ways. If his short game isn't sharp, Jordan Spieth has no chance. But if Jordan Spieth's short game continues to be sharp and he just has a decent week tee to green, I think he's another guy who's in the mix come uh, Sunday. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of jealous of the people who maybe were bold and took Jordan Spieth at 50 to 1. I know someone oh. who took him at 30 to 1 about a okay, month ago. Bad. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see, especially, you know, winning the obviously we're in covid so he wouldn't have some sort of big shaker party after winning but i'm curious you know four days after winning what kind of game he's going to show up with come thursday well he is from texas so (laughs) can't rule anything (laughs) out Uh, adam scully from golf talk canada is our guest here on the edge and 29 of the past 35 masters winners have been ranked inside the top 30 including the last 11 champions so you needed some kind of track record at the course to really succeed. That's what history tells us. So let's look a little further down the board, Adam. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at guys like Sergio Garcia, the yeah. 2017 champ. Jason Days had success here. Louis Oosthuizen, Adam Scott, Justin Rose. These are all guys who have had success. So when you're looking at long shots, maybe 60 to 1 and higher, who do you like the best? Ooh, you know what? It's funny we're mentioning this now because uh, throughout the day on the TSN Edge, I'll, I'll be releasing some videos with some different uh, categories. For example, past champions is one of them. Canadians, another one. First round leader is another one I'll get to, uh, which will be released tomorrow morning. But uh, for the past champions, I decided to you know make it more of a value play because as we've talked about, I mean, I'm sure the vast majority of people listening to the show are, are very high on Dustin Johnson and deservedly so. But in terms of value and t- in terms of past 60 to one or so, how about Bubba Watson? You know, he's won here twice. He's had a pretty good year on the PGA Tour, three yeah. top tens, played well at the match play. Plus, he's also played well at Augusta National, two top 12s in the last three years. For some value, why not Bubba Watson, especially with the advantages, quote-unquote, that left-handed players do have on this golf course. Why not Bubba Watson? Yeah, and you can even bet Bubba to finish top 5, top 10, top 20. Top 20 pays plus 200. So if you think Bubba is poised for a big week, I think there's something to that. And, and there is something about lefties at Augusta National. You mentioned Bubba Watson, of course, Phil Mickelson over the year. There's a couple lefties thinking about Brian Harmon, thinking about Robert mm-hmm. McIntyre. Who pounds the ball off the D Bobby Mack, that's right. So maybe there's something to a to a lefty. So why don't you, Adam, give us your best long shot play, fifty to one and higher that you're gunning towards uh, beyond Bubba Watson. Okay, so fifty to one. I'm sort of teetering on that right now. Uh I have I have Sergio, so I, I was okay. high on Sergio's forty five to one where where I've been looking. And you know, I was high on Sergio 
prior to the Players' Championship. And yes, he got off to that great start. I was super ecstatic about that, obviously. He sort of fizzled out and still finished inside the top 10, so he had a good week. Sergio at 45-1. to He also missed the November Masters due to COVID. And with good form coming in, of course, he did win during the fall portion of the schedule. I think Sergio Garcia is a pretty good play. You know, another guy who I'm just, I'm so curious about, and you mentioned a couple minutes ago, is Justin Rose. Where has Justin Rose been? He was a world number one, and now his game has just teetered off. You know, he has been so, his form has not been great. He was shown on the driving range uh, yesterday working with Canadian swing coach Sean Foley. He had some sort of like, it wasn't a basketball around his neck, but it was almost like a, like a dodgeball. And it was, I guess, for, for timing of a swing, it's kind of rare you see someone ramping up for a major championship using yeah. that sort of swing, call it gizmo, two days before a tournament. But he's, he's a guy that I am interested in if he gets off to a good start come Thursday. Adam, I want to run two more props by you. Top yes. Canadian, Corey Connors at minus 140, Mackenzie Hughes at plus 180, Mike Weir plus 650. Are you taking the pay, paying the juice with Connors, or maybe you look towards Mackenzie Hughes there? You know what? I, I think I'm looking towards Mackenzie Hughes. as right. um, and, and Corey Connors is an unbelievable pick. I will say that, too. I mean, he, he shot the lowest round a Canadian has ever shot at the Masters back in November of 65. And he is a great pick. His putting it has improved a lot during this season. The, the left-hand low grip now, new caddy as well. But in terms of value, to me, it's Mackenzie Hughes. Uh, last year, when tournaments, when the courses were playing tough in some of those weeks of so the BMW Championship, the Memorial come to mind as well. Mackenzie Hughes was in the mix. If the, if Augusta National is as firm and fast as everyone's talking about and as we talked about, I think Mackenzie Hughes has a really good chance to be the top Canadian. And also, don't sleep on Mike Weir just yet. I mean, he made the cut for the first time at Augusta National <laughs> since 2010. Yeah, and, and he's and he's healthy now. He spent years and years trying to get healthy and rehabbing injuries. But Mike Weir did an interview with Bob Weeks that we aired on Golf Talk Canada. Uh, I guess that would have been last week, and it was it was a Zoom interview. And Mike Weir's got some Bryson Pythons on him. The guy's working out, so don't sleep on Mike Weir. Has Mike Weir been working out in the Scully Garage, or like what's been going on? <laughs> That's the secret right there. <laughs> That's it. That's how you become deezed up and pounded long and strong off the tee. Well, Mr. Scully, thank you for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. As always, we will be tuned in for all of your TSN Edge golf content on tsn.ca and all the social media channels. And look forward to seeing you guys on Golf Talk Canada a little bit later this morning. So thanks, my friend. Thank you. Enjoy the coverage, my man. Oh, I will. I will. I am getting the couch groove ready in the Koralnik household, because it will be a long four days. And the weather is nice, but there is a stay-at-home order coming, apparently. So we'll see what that means for actual golf in the province when our premier speaks at 2 p.m. Eric Patterson from The Score Golf will join us in about 12 minutes' time. We'll continue our conversation, including hitting on some of the names that we didn't hit on with Adam, namely... Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Xander Shoffley, and Colin Morikawa and what their chances are at the Masters this week. And coming up next, want to talk some Leafs. They play the Habs tonight. What are the odds on that one with Carey Price and Brendan Gallagher out of the lineup for Montreal? The Raps coming off a blowout loss to the Lakers and an Oscars bet I'm going to encourage our audience to look into. That and more next on The Ed. 
A beautiful Wednesday here in the city of Toronto. You're listening to The Edge here on TSN 1050. I am Aaron Korolnik. And while I hope you spend the day outside practicing social distancing, staying safe, spend the night inside watching the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens, a game that should be awesome because this is very likely, very potentially likely to be a first-round playoff matchup in the North Division. That's how it would situate right now between the Leafs and the Habs, something we haven't seen in a very long time. Tonight, the Leafs are the favorite team as the home side over the Canadians. They're minus 145, plus 150 on the puck line. Toronto 3-1 and one against Montreal this season. But this is a matchup of two really hot teams right now. The Canadians 4-1 and one in their past five, including an OT win over Edmonton on Monday. And the Leafs... Returning home from a perfect 4-0 trip. They haven't suffered a regulation loss in their past eight games. Of course, the 5-3 win over the Calgary Flames on Monday. So this is two teams that are rolling. And when it comes to betting on this game, looking at the lines, we know the old adage surrounding teams playing their first game off a road trip. So it will be fascinating to see how the Leafs come out tonight against a Montreal team who's without Carey Price. He did not travel to Toronto. He's a little bit banged up, so you'll see Jake Allen and Nett. And Brendan Gallagher has a broken thumb. So Montreal a bit banged up. On the subject of banged up, we always know Jack Campbell seems to be questionable almost every single night. But when he's in, he wins. Always. 9-0-0 this season. Matching the club record for consecutive wins for a goalie 27 years ago. Felix Popvan in 1994 achieved that. So when Jack Campbell's in the lineup, pretty good chance that the Maple Leafs win. At least this year, it's a 100% chance. So you're going to want to stay tuned to Morning Skate from Sheldon Keefe and the announcement whether it will be Campbell or it will be Hutchinson. A bet we love to make here on the edge is the Austin Matthews goal prop. Tonight you can find it at even money. And since Matthews went five games without a goal in mid-March, he has been a goal-scoring machine, scoring at least one goal in five of his past six games. And we know that Matthews had two goals and two assists in the last matchup against the Habs on February 20th. So there is some history there for Austin Matthews and some big nights against the Montreal Canadiens. So we're hitting that one here on the edge. The Raptors, however, they were one-point dogs last night against the Lakers, a team without Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They were absolutely destroyed. The score didn't really reflect that they lost by nine. Ultimately, this game was never close. And if you're a Raps fan, tomorrow night on the surface, it doesn't seem like a huge game, a crucial game, but it's a big one tomorrow against the Chicago Bulls. The team Toronto is chasing for the 10th spot in the East. So I guess there's two ways you can look at this game if you're a Raptors fan. Number one, you want the Raps to beat the Bulls so they can make the play and perhaps play Boston in the first round of the playing round, maybe beat the Celtics and move on to play Philly or Brooklyn. That would be exciting. Or you want the Raptors to lose tomorrow and basically lose out, tank the season away in hopes that you can get a top five pick which could very much radically change the future course of this franchise. So the Raptors have won nine of their past ten against Chicago. We are uncertain if Fred Van Viet will play. Uh, Kyle Lowry, very unlikely to play. But this is simply a matchup of bad basketball teams. Probably steer clear of that one. Wesley Chang from TSN Edge is going to join us in about 15 minutes' time to break that one down. Quickly, I want to bring up a bet of significant value when it comes to the best picture at the Academy Awards. So the Oscars on April 25th. But a few weeks out is when you can find the best value, and I have found it. 
So, the betting favorite to win Best Picture is a film called Nomadland. I have not seen Nomadland. Second best odds is a movie called Trial of the Chicago 7, a movie I have seen. It's excellent. It plus 400. Nomadland is minus 400. So, Nomadland is the heavy favorite. But a bet I'm encouraging you to make is on a film called Minari. Plus 1,200. It is a movie. It's a a brand-new winning narrative um, surrounding a director named Chung, semi-autobiographical film about growing up with his Korean family in, in America. And I think that narrative will go a long way when it comes to voters. And I think that considering it has six nominations at the Oscars, um, it, very, it bodes very well and bodes, bodes very well for its chances at the Best Picture category. So that's one bet I look at at plus 1,200 where I think you can find some real value, especially as we get closer and closer to the Oscars. And I will say it was snubbed for film editing uh, when it comes to Oscar noms. So that's raising eyebrows a little bit among prognosticators. That is a pretty key nomination a movie needs in order to win Best Picture. Only Birdman in 2014 overcame that hurdle in the past 40 years. So we're hoping that Minari uh, plus 1,200 can do exactly that. So that's my big Oscar bet, Minari at plus 1,200 to win Best Picture. Uh, We get back to the Masters with Eric Patterson from The Score coming up next. We have not brought up Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy looking for the Grand Slam this week at Augusta National. Can he do it? Is he under the radar? We ask Eric Patterson next on The Edge. We are back here on The Edge. Less than 24 hours until the Masters is upon us. And in that little promo before we return from break, mentioned how the expert advantage in gambling and fantasy, and that absolutely applies to our next guest, Eric Patterson covers golf for The Score. Make sure to follow Eric's in-depth golf coverage. Download The Score app and also follow him on Twitter at EPatGolf. What is up, EPat? How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. Big fan of your work and big fan of the quality information on wagering you're about to provide to myself and our audience during the commercial break. I'm trying to fill out all my master's pools, but I decided why not just wait to hear what EPAT has to say about some of the top contenders at Augusta National in April. And let me get your take first on the golf course as a whole. We were talking to Adam Scully earlier from Golf Talk Canada on the show about how this this rendition of the Masters will be dramatically different from an on-course perspective in that the course is running firm and fast, much unlike it happened in November. Is there a player or two in particular you think that favors this time around compared to November, Eric? Yeah, that's a a tough one. I mean, the firm and fast conditions, I think, will play into the hands of people who have a little bit more experience at Augusta just because of the nuances in and around the greens. Um, you know, November, like if you were a first timer in November, um, those greens were soft, the fairways were soft and you could pretty much get away with, um, some mistakes, uh, off the tee and your approach shots. So, um, I don't think, I think, I think you're going to have to be extremely precise, um, with where you're heading into these greens. And I think it bodes well for guys who are extremely good with their irons because, um, you know, you watch the, you watch the masters year after year, you know, that you miss you miss a yard right or left and it's trickling into the water or it's, you know, rolling 20 feet away from the, from the pin as opposed to, you know, trickling five feet towards the pin. So 
Um, I think that uh, extremely precise iron play is just going to, you know, kind of uh, rise to the top this week um, when, when, you know, you can't have those mistakes. You can't be a little bit off with your approach games and uh, the course is just going to be a lot less forgiving. Well, you mentioned iron play, and perhaps no one better with their irons than Justin Thomas, who has hit more greens in regulation than any other player at Augusta since making his debut at the tournament in 2016. And he has a very unique trajectory in his Masters career. He has improved his finish in all four starts since his debut, T39, T22, T17, T12, and then fourth in 2020. What do you make of JT's chances this week? So we're going to be starting with if you if you were going to give me one player to 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 win this week it would be Justin Thomas. I liked his chances back in November as well, um, and he had a he had a chance. He had a better chance than you might think, even though he came fourth. There was a a bit of a run he had during the third round where he a couple uh, silly mistakes on the back nine kind of took him out of contention. But um, JT, I, there's what is there not to love about his game at the moment? Just coming, you know, two starts removed from his players' win. Um, you know, that, that's a course that uh, you really need to be precise with your irons. He gained uh, over six strokes on approach there. So, um, you know, he's clearly figuring this course out. Augusta, that, as the course I'm talking about, it, and it's proven with those year-after-year results. So I just think, you know, he, he, he's long enough to contend. The fairways are going to be firm, so he's going to get a little bit extra distance there. But um, his iron play, yeah second to none pretty much right now on the tour other than one guy that i'm sure we'll talk about here shortly but um jt i just uh everything just seems kind of to be lining up for him to to win his second major which is crazy to think about for someone as good as he is he only has one major so far yeah i think many majors to come for jt throughout his career eric patterson covers golf for the score he's our guest here on the edge and before we get to the iron player who i'm thinking you're thinking of i need to ask you about brooks kepka who's the biggest question mark in the field we don't really know what his health status is he's a little ambiguous about what's going on with that balky knee are you buying brooks this week or are you fading him uh it's dangerous but it's going to be a fade for me um there's just too many unknowns, and it seems like he's really, you know, playing through some serious pain or discomfort. Uh, I don't know if you saw the picture that came out of him yesterday, where he's going to be reading the greens with his right leg fully extended and kind of squatting down on his left knee. It looks super uncomfortable and um, strange, and it just shows you that he's obviously not 100% healthy. Um, there was also talk about Kepka when he got to the grounds earlier this week. He was scoping the flattest walking paths. Um, just so that he can take some strain on stress off the knee. Um, and Augusta National is not the flattest course in the world, so it's going to be a challenge for him, I think, to walk 72 holes. Um, and if that pain starts creeping into you know, his swing, uh, maybe even add stress to his left knee that was just surgically repaired a few uh, like a year or two ago. So there's just a lot going on with Kepka, and it's a, it's. Obviously, he's extremely talented. He won not that long ago, came second at the WGC in Florida. Um, but I just think there's too many question marks, and it's a bit of a, a bit too much of a risk for me to, to take. Eric, I'm going to guess the other iron player you were speaking of was John Rahm. Am I correct? Uh, it's not, but um, I do like... Well, who, who, uh, was, who was your, the iron player you were referring to? Uh, it would be Colin Morikawa. Oh, um, okay, okay. Yeah, what do you make he, of his chances? A lot of people are... Uh, maybe he's... As a number four player in the world, he's obviously not getting a lot of buzz, but uh, 
Morikawa, I mean, you talk about what gets the job done at Augusta, and I, I broke it down with JT a little bit. Tiger did it for years, even some of the, the more recent winners, um, Sergio being one of them. Just elite iron play is very important, and Morikawa, next to JT, I think they're 1-2 on tour in strokes gain approach. So um, he's not getting a lot of respect for someone who's top five in the world. He just won the WGC um, in Florida, that was a very firm course as well. Like uh, that was one of the toughest WGCs in recent memory, where you know those greens almost replicated what you'll see at Augusta with some pretty severe runoffs if you're if you're missing your approach shots by a yard or two. Um, and Morikawa just kind of thrived there and blew away the competition. So um, for a major winner, a WGC winner, he also won a Memorial at Muirfield Village. It wasn't the Memorial, sorry, the Workday Championship at Muirfield Village. So he has some really marquee wins um and he just he doesn't have a ton of experience at augusta but i just um, he has one of those skills that just translates to any course and it's just uh, so much so much like it because it's going to come down to his potter for him but i think he uh i think he can figure it out it is morikawa's second career start at the masters he finished t44 in november i should note that three of the last 10 masters champions won in their second career start at augusta danny willett jordan spieth and charles schwartzel in 2011 so morikawa has that going for him eric give me a long shot someone 50 to 1 or higher that you're targeting this heading into this week at the masters there's actually a few but i'll, I'll start with my favorite i think um Adam Scott, as a former champion, is getting uh, some serious, uh, you know, he's undervalued. At, I think you can get him at like 66 to 1 in some spots, which is uh, kind of crazy for someone who's won at Augusta, has some really, really good finishes throughout his career at the Masters. Um, he's not playing exceptionally well, but the encouraging signs are there. He's been talking a lot about trying to figure out his driver and his long game. Um, there was a brief moment in time where he said that if he – uh, you know, his short game was keeping him from selling hot dogs on the side of the street. So you know his short game is there. And in his last start at the Honda Classic, he gained 10.5 strokes gained tee to green, which is a, you know, a pretty good sign that he's figured something out with his long game. Um, and, you know, for a former winner, 66 to 1, especially firm and fast conditions, that's, uh, that bodes well into the, the Australian narrative where they're used to playing on the courses of that nature. So, um, give me Adam Scott. Uh, yeah, 66 to 1. Can't go wrong. You said you had a couple. Give us a couple more names, whatever you have further down the board. All right. Uh, yeah, I will. Uh, my next one is uh, it's not my – I don't think – I don't expect him to win, but I do expect him to be, you know, top top 10, um, something he's done throughout his career quite a bit. Um, he's not my favorite player in the world, but Matt Kuchar has uh, turned a corner as of late, and – uh, he, he made a run at the match play. He had a sh- solid showing at the Texas Open last week. And um, throughout his career, he's been like a top 10 machine at the Masters. Uh, so Matt Kuchar, I think he's like 125 to 1 to win outright. Again, I don't, I don't know if he has what it takes to win, but I do think um, he's figured something out as of late that can get him you know, a later tee time on Sunday that, uh, you know, top 10, top 5 type of bet there. He may have the worst style on tour, but yeah. <laughs> he's a quality player still, and he has a track record at Augusta National, a lot of experience, and that's what you're looking for in any potential top 20 or so wagering. Yeah, I think that Kuchar top 20 bet you're looking at plus 350, plus 400 makes a lot of sense. Eric, thank you very much for joining the show. Best of luck with your wagers and your pools, and would love to have you back on down the line as we look to the second major of the year in a couple of months. Thanks, my man. No, no problem. Anytime.
All right, that is Eric Patterson from The Score. You can follow him at epatgolf. All right, coming up next, we have Wesley Chang, a TSN Edge fantasy basketball analyst. We're going to talk about what happened last night between the Raps and the Lakers and how to bet on the Raptors. Can you bet on the Raptors in the last 20 games of the season? Are there any indicators of what you're going to see from this Jekyll and Hyde team from night to night? We'll talk about that with Wesley Chang next on The Edge. Wrapping things up on The Edge for this Wednesday morning, I am Aaron Karolnik, and every single time the Raptors play these days, I feel this great conflict. Do I want them to win? Do I want them to lose? It's such a difficult decision, but one thing that makes the decision a little easier is if you wager on them, and the man who's on the line is going to help us make some decisions on the Toronto Raptors in their last 20 games and make it a little bit easier, more palatable to watch those games. His name is Wesley Cheng. He is a TSN Edge fantasy basketball analyst, and he joins us here on The Edge. Good morning, my friend. What's going on? Hey, thanks for having me on the show, AK. Everything's going well. How about you? Uh, we're great. For those who don't know, I imagine there are. Wesley was actually a student in my class at Centennial College many years ago. And look at the great things he's accomplishing with TSN Edge and now a guest on this show. Proud of you, buddy. And it's great to have you as part of the show. And let's look ahead to tomorrow night, the Raptors and the Bulls. And we know the Raps and the Bulls are competing for the highly contested 10th spot in the Eastern Conference. And it's not a collection of two great battles basketball teams but considering what we saw from the Raptors two nights ago beating the Wizards and then what we saw from them last night against the Lakers what can we realistically expect from the Raps against the Bulls tomorrow night in their third game in four nights Uh, I think the main thing you want to see from them is you just want to see them play hard hustle Um, at this stage I mean it's kind of you know it's not the full squad that you want to have but um, you just want to see them play the right way have a little bit of effort but if you're looking at it, you know, box score to box score, I think the reality is Chicago is the better team. Uh, they, have, uh, they have a lot of things to sort out with new players coming on to the, onto the squad after the trade deadline. But uh, you just want to see the Raptors fight. And uh, I think the challenge for the Raps here is I don't think, and I, you, you, we can discuss this, but I don't think they're looking to make as big of a push to get into this playoffs as Chicago probably wants this. So, um, you know, if they put up the effort, they hustle on defense, and they really try to make you know make this game count. I think you'll see this uh, be a really tightly contested, you know, one possession, two possession game. But um, you know, like you were talking about, are we weighing the tank? Is that actually how they're going to play this out? And you know, that's probably something that we're going to see play out over the next two weeks. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Chicago's embracing the tank at all, considering the moves they made at the trade deadline. But let's move from the bottom of the Eastern Conference to the top. The Sixers, a big win last night over the Celtics. Joel Embiid, he's back in the lineup with 35 points. Phillies won two straight with him back after missing 10 games with that knee injury. And on the subject of injuries, the Brooklyn Nets. Now it's James Harden. He's out at least 10 days with that hamstring, but they will be getting Kevin Durant back tonight against the New Orleans Orleans Pelicans. And looking at the odds to win the East, and we're joined by Wesley Cheng from TSN Edge, Brooklyn's the prohibitive favorite at minus 125, followed by Milwaukee, followed by the Sixers. And the thing I'm concerned about with Brooklyn, I think talent-wise they are clearly the best team in the East. But are you concerned at all about a lack of continuity for Brooklyn? 
how little time Kyrie and Harden and Durant have played together, and does that make you evaluate maybe there's some value with Milwaukee or with Philly at the top of the Eastern Conference? I think that's the number one knock on Brooklyn. You know, uh, you've seen this happen a lot of the times where super teams get put together midseason. Can they actually get that chemistry built up? Especially in a sport like basketball, one ball, five players. You know, it's really hard to figure out what the four other guys are doing if they haven't played a lot of time together. So uh, the argument's legit. I think there's definitely um, the substance to that. My thing with looking at the Eastern Conference here is just when you think about, you know, clutch minutes, last five minutes within five points, how do those games typically go? It's usually, you know, one-on-one, a little bit of iso ball. And when you look at some of the other options you have in the Eastern Conference, Brooklyn alone has the number one, two, and three best players in the Eastern Conference in those situations. Milwaukee doesn't have that. Joel Embiid, you can argue, could be better than one of those three guys, but... I mean, the reality is Brooklyn just has so many weapons in those situations. I find it really hard to bet against them when those games go like that, especially in like a seven-game series. You're, you're absolutely right about those crunch time minutes. And maybe you could argue Jason Tatum might be up there in the East against a guy like Kyrie, probably not against Durant or Harden. And, and, that, and that's, that's going to be the big differential between Brooklyn and the other teams in the East is that they have those guys who you can give the ball to and clear out and can score. And that's something that Milwaukee and Philly don't really have. A, a guy, Wesley, who has just been unreal this year is Nikola Jokic. He stayed healthy. His team's unreal. 31-18 and 18 of the Denver Nuggets there. Fourth in the West. He's the front runner to win MVP at this point. But I'm starting to wonder, especially after last night, if Joel Embiid might be the bet to make here. He's plus 450, while Jokic is minus 140. If Philly wins the East and Embiid stays healthy for the rest of the year, could you not make the argument that Embiid is the MVP? Yeah, like the moment he came back from his injury at that timeline, you saw his. I think his odds went from seven to one down to now. You said you know three, four to one. Um, it is Jokic's award to lose. Let's be let's let's be straight about that. Denver, they're six and zero since the Aaron Gordon trade. He Jokic continues to put up the stats that you know have made him the MVP favorite, but uh, Embiid. If they can end up, you know, being first seed and be put together a really strong run to finish, you know, just like how LeBron and Embiid were the favorites at one point this season and they got derailed by injuries, you never know. Like something could happen to Jokic here too. And the knock on Embiid up to this point was injury. Will he play enough games? But it had nothing to do with his actual performance. So if Jokic just by chance runs into the same issue where he ends up missing a few games for whatever reason. Then you're going to watch these odds really even out, and then sports media, the debate's going to get really testy, I think. That's right. We'll have to turn on first take, get up, Stephen A. Smith and, and Max Kellerman screaming at each other. That's the type of theater we need, my man. His name is Wesley Cheng. He is a fantasy basketball analyst for TSN Edge. Thank you for doing this, my friend. I look forward to seeing you in the flesh. At some point in the next 12 to 18 months. Hey, likewise, sir. Have a good one. All right. That is Wesley Chang from TSN Edge. And, yeah, it's an exciting week of sports. We had the Leafs and the Habs tonight. We had the Raps and the Bulls tomorrow night, a crucial game if the Raptors have any chance to make the NBA postseason as the 10th seed. And the Masters, a tradition unlike any other, gets going tomorrow morning. 
course, Golf Talk Canada has their preview show at 11 a.m. on TSN 1 and 3. So you're going to want to tune into that. I know there's a lot of James Duffy from the studio, not at Augusta National this year because of the NHL trade deadline coming on the Monday following Masters Sunday. I'm sure J.D., a little perturbed by that. I think that goes without saying. That would be very, very disconcerting if I was James Duffy. But he's seen enough Masters in person, so he's good to go. I look forward to his coverage and looking forward to being back with you on The Edge next Thursday morning. That's right. We resume our regular Thursday morning at 10 a.m. time slot then. Thanks to Adam Scully from Golf Talk Canada for joining us. Eric Patterson from The Score. Wesley Cheng from TSN Edge. Thanks to 20 Fingers Chris Diavero behind the glass. I'm Aaron Karolnik. We'll be back next Thursday on The Edge. Thanks for listening.